Good morning, everyone. So we're continuing on in our series in small groups, and we had our small group last week, and I think we had about 25% of the people there because of the weather. So it's supposed to be nice tonight, so there's no excuses. We can all get to our small group, and I hope that you enjoy it as we enjoyed ours. It was absolutely wonderful. The Bible's clear that uh, we need each other. In fact, that we can't, and we're not supposed to, go through this Christian life alone. Yet so many of us try to. So um, what we need to do, I think, is right up front we need to admit that connecting with new people is difficult. Would you agree with that? Yeah. It's not, not an easy thing to do. Before we go any further, I'd like us to take a moment just to bow our heads. And uh, I want us just to, to pray for a moment, okay? Father, thank you. Thank you for the family of God. And God, so often we take the family for granted. So often, Father, we forget that the people that you put into our lives are our lives for a reason. You put them here, Father, to help us learn something, to help us to grow, to help us to change. And so, Father, right now, by your spirit, we pray that you would give us hearts that are open, open to learn and open to grow. Father, we pray that your name would be glorified as we, as we spend time together, fellowshipping together, getting to know each other, and feeling free enough to share our stories with each other. We pray that for Christ's sake. And everyone said it? Amen. Amen. Now, it is uh, so often true that we, we judge each other, or we prejudge each other, and we, they, they say that within 60 seconds of meeting somebody, you make up your mind about what you think of them, whether you not want to get to know them better or not. It, it's just a, it's, a, it's that quick. 60 seconds and you've got your minds made up. How many know it takes more than 60 seconds to get to know somebody? And so what we need to do is we need to learn what it means to step outside of our comfort zone and, uh, and learn not to judge a book by its cover. Somebody sent me a really good joke this past week. There's a, a couple of guys in hoodies and baggy pants. They showed up in heaven at the pearly gates. Peter's on the other side of the gates, and he says, what do you want? And they said, well, you know, we're here. So Peter says, well, just a minute. Let me go check with, with God. So he goes into the presence of God and says, there's two guys here with hoodies and really baggy pants. They don't look the best, but they're here. And God says, well, you know, we've we got to be careful not to judge people by their appearance. So Peter goes back to the pearly gates, looks around, comes back to God, and says, God, they're gone. God says, the guys with the hoodies? No, the pearly gates. <laughs> so we have this... <laughs> We, we have this way of prejudging people, don't we, by their appearance, and we think, well, I'll, I'll never be able to connect with him, I'll never be able to connect with her. Uh, those are not my kind of people. But I want you to know right now that it takes all kinds of people, it takes all kinds of people in your life to help you become all that God wants you to become, to learn all that God wants you to learn. We're talking today about growing together, and I'm going to say this to you. If you will take the step of faith and trust God, 
that what God says he's going to do, he'll do, you will be amazed at the transformation that takes place in your life. When I was in Greece just before I got married, I was at a, a, a Christian camp up in the north of Greece, and um, the fellow that was sharing the room with me, it was actually four of us in the room, one of them was actually a pastor from, from England. He was a Welsh pastor. And, you know, we got to chatting a little bit, and, you know, I was being polite, to be frank. I wasn't really interested in forming a friendship or anything like that. I just, you know, I was just trying to be polite to the people in the room. There's, a, there's a, an elderly German man. There was an American and a Brit, this Welsh. I mean, it sounds like a joke, but it's actually the way it really was. And, uh, and so we got, to, we got to chatting with one another. And, and I asked just, you know, just by way of making conversation, I asked this fellow that was in the room with me, his name is Bruce. I said, uh, did you know Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones? He says, well, as a matter of fact, I sat under Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones' ministry. And, and that was the beginning of something uh, deeper. So we got to chat a little bit, we became friends, and then for, actually for that week and then the week after, because he was in Greece for a, a while, uh, we, we began to fellowship together. And I began to open up my heart to somebody who was, who was absolutely the polar opposite to me. I mean, he was older than me, from a different uh, denomination, different background, spiritual background. But I opened my heart up to him. And I said, okay, God, you know what? I feel like you've brought this person into my life for a reason. And so I was willing to hear what he had to say. Well, long, very long story, just long. Uh, I discovered there's a few things that I had to learn from this fellow, who is also a pastor. The first thing that we learned, that I learned actually, in, in praying with him, was how to really pray. I found that my prayers uh, are very heartfelt, but maybe not altogether honest with God. I was quite shocked when I began to hear him, you know, began, we began to pray together, and I hear him saying, uh, God, I'm... I'm I'm prone to wander. I'm prone to sin. Uh, God, my heart is, is, is set on, on darkness, but thank you, God, for bringing your light to my dark heart. And he was praying like that, and I thought, whoa, what is this man? Who is he? He sounds like a very evil person. Uh, but then as we got to, got to talk together, I discovered, in fact, that he was praying a real prayer, a prayer that really reflected which not only in his hearts, but in the hearts of all of us. And so it, in praying with him, I discovered something. I discovered how important it is to understand my need of God's grace. That was absolutely a turning point. And I never would have learned that if I hadn't taken the risk of getting to know somebody, of letting somebody into my life. The other thing I learned was the importance of understanding and knowing the doctrines of the faith, which I won't get into right now. But I want to say this to you. So many of us thank you, we got it all together, and I don't need to invite new people into my life. But the fact of the matter is, you do. And it's in fellowship with other people. That's when you really grow. Some of us think the only way we can learn anything is by, by listening to the TV preachers or by, by reading the books of famous authors. But the fact is, God wants you to learn from each other. That's the whole point or the whole idea of of the small group that we read about in Acts chapter 2. Let's look at the verse. 
And it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. The first thing that we notice about this New Testament church is that this, this is actually a learning community. It's a learning fellowship. That's the very, very first thing we recognize about this church, that these people come together to learn together. Now, you'll notice that the first thing on this list is learning together, even before fellowship. It's at the top list. What are they learning? They're, they're learning the Word of God together. They're sharing what they have learned as they've read the Scripture together. Now, let me ask you this. When's the last time when you were with one of your brothers and sisters in Christ that you shared together the things that you've learned or studied in the scripture. And yet this is what marked the early believers. This is what they did. This is who they were. Before they could ever talk about, you know, fellowship, first of all, what they had to do is talk about what was God saying. And you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that God still speaks to our hearts. He's still in the business of speaking to his people. And for some of you... Um, this was, this was very exciting, you, you, I, and I know that because you shared it with me. Remember, we, we chose a word, and, and many of you uh, said God laid that word on your heart, and that was really a turning point for you because, first of all, God spoke to you, and secondly, because um, you, you heard the word that you needed to hear in order to change. Well, here's the thing, folks. If you and I are going to continue to grow in our faith, it's, it's not going to happen in isolation. It's going to happen in relation. Relationship, relationship to one another. So, here, here uh, last week we talked about koinonia, an interesting word that I said had no real English uh, equivalent. We said basically what it means is is a celebration of the things that we have in common. So here's here's what you and I need to understand: you and I cannot have true fellowship with anyone unless we have something in common with that person. The thing that that brings us together, the things that makes it possible for us to fellowship together, to eat together, is that you and I have the same convictions, the same belief system, are going in the same direction. And in our case, the thing that we have in common is Jesus. And that's why we celebrated communion last week, is because we have a faith, a belief that says that Jesus died for us and that Jesus is our pattern for living. So when you and I get together for fellowship or for small groups, we gather together because we have in common, first of all, the fact that we believe that Jesus died for our sins, but secondly, we have in common a desire to be like Jesus. We want to follow in his footsteps. Many of you know that scripture first uh, from First Peter that says that Jesus has set for us an example that we would what? Follow in his steps. In fact, that notion or that idea of following in the steps of Christ became the, the basis for a very famous book, and it actually became a, a movie. In fact, I think there may be several movies on the subject, but it's the idea of, of doing whatever Jesus would do. WWJD, what would Jesus do? Now, here's the thing. As you and I desire and are, are longing for and, and, and moving towards this desire to be more and more like Jesus, and remember, that is, that's what God wants for you above all else. As we move towards that, we have to understand we don't do it alone. We do it together. 
We learn from one another. We challenge each other. We, we, uh, we help each other see the truth. In Ephesians 5.2, here's what Paul says. He says, live a life filled with love. And everybody's in agreement with that. Yeah, I get that. I need to, we need to do that. We need to be loving. But then he goes on to say this. Following the example of Christ. So here's, here's a, a beautiful place and a beautiful picture for us, if you will, of, of real Christianity. It's people coming together who love each other and whose desire it is to be like Christ. Now, I'm going to ask you this. When's the last time you actually examined your life and examined your actions, your words? When's the last time you, you, you compared yourself to Christ? Here's what most of us do. We compare ourselves to others, but that's not biblical. What we're supposed to do is we're supposed to compare ourselves to Christ because Christ is our standard. Now, the Apostle Paul says something really interesting. And this has caused maybe some confusion for some believers. But Paul says, he says, look at my life and now do whatever I do. Even as I follow Christ. You see the difference? So our desire ultimately is to be like Jesus. It's to follow him and do what he says. So when we talk about um, what would Jesus do. Folks, here's what I know. Is that you and I, we can fool ourselves in fact, the, the, the number one area all of us are most deluded in is in regard to ourselves, our perception of ourselves. But when you get into the fellowship with other people, with other believers who love you and care about you, folks, guess what? You're going to discover who you really are and what you're really like. And it's for this reason that so many people resist entering into fellowship with other believers because they're afraid of what they're going to discover. They're afraid that... People are maybe going to say something or, some, or, or, or a number of things that are going to hurt their feelings. Can I say this to you? The, the, this idea of gathering together in small groups to help each other grow, this is not about hurting each other. It's not about condemning each other. It's not about, about putting each other in, in, our, in our place. It's about building each other up. And yet so many people don't experience that and don't... Um, don't allow themselves to experience that. So here's what I'll say to you today. If you are right now experiencing a very superficial kind of faith, if you feel that your faith is sort of, you know, it's kind of washed up on the shore and it's hardly got any life left in it, or if you feel that you've lost your, your, your joy, your zeal, your excitement about your faith, then here's what the scripture would tell you to do. The scripture would tell you to do what the early believers did. You need to get together with other believers and you need to start devoting yourself to the apostles' teaching, which is the word of God. You need to enter into fellowship. You need to begin to share together and to pray together. And I'm going to tell you, this will take your friendships, your relationships to a brand new level. You will, you will move from what is superficial into what is deep and meaningful. I'm going to tell you, you may not know this, but this is what everybody craves and it's the most uh, most satisfying thing that any human being has ever known and will ever know. But the question is this, will you do it? Will you enter into that? So, we recognize that real fellowship is, is a fellowship with people who have a common commitment to learn and grow together. 
You've heard me talk about the somewhat 60 commands in the New Testament that tell us how we're supposed to interact with one another. You know the, the verses that say we need to pray for one another, we need to confess our sins to one another, we need to share with one another, uh, we need to care for one another, we need to, to love one another. John, in 1 John, he, if, if, five times he says to the, to, to the people he's addressing in that letter, you've got to love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. It's a very, very short letter, but in that short letter, he, he squeezes in this, this command to love one another five times. Now listen, we cannot fulfill 60 commands in the scripture if we're not in fellowship with other believers. The, the New Testament is very much a fellowship-centric teaching. It's all about relationship with one another. Now, I haven't got time today to get into uh, all 60 of these commands, but I want to focus on one of them. And it's the command that we read in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. And it says this, So encourage each other to build each other up, just as you are already doing. Encouraging one another. This word encourage, it comes from a Greek which means to come alongside somebody. It, which is very much like the word uh, for, or the name of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, this idea of coming alongside one another. Now, here's what, here's what you and I need to understand. And folks, this is the gospel. This is the good news. God did not intend for us to go through this life alone. The idea of the fellowship or the body of Christ is that there are people in our life who go with us through life. And in this case, the Apostle Paul tells us that we're supposed to encourage one another, to build each other up. I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I had a, I had a kind of a strange notion about Christianity. And I, my grandparents, whom you've heard me speak about many, many times, very godly, godly people, um, Grandpa and Grandma Duncalf, love the Lord, but, but here's the thing, they... they were extremely, um, uh, how should we put it, critical or rigid of anybody who wasn't measuring up, wasn't towing the line, so to speak. And so I had this idea that, that maybe I was, I was never, ever quite measuring up. I had this idea that maybe I wasn't where I needed to be. And so I, I often found myself, and you may, you may have experienced this, I often found myself feeling um, unworthy, like I'm not good enough. And I'd feel like I needed to go to the altar and, and give my heart to Jesus all over again. I'd become a Christian all over again. I did it. I, I, I'm sure I became a Christian at least five or six times. Um, but I think it finally took. You'd be happy to know. <laughs> but as I began to grow in my own faith and began to interact with other believers, I discovered something. I discovered that God loves me. And that I don't need to get re-saved every time I fall short. What I did discover is that God is busy at work within me, transforming and changing me. And that I needed people in my life to speak words of encouragement to my heart. One of the very first people that came into my life to speak words of encouragement was Marilyn Wedleg. That's why we got this very old friendship. Because I was just a very, I was probably 13 or 14 years old when first met Marilyn. Marilyn saw something in me. She started to build me up and encourage me and say positive and kind words to me. 
It was revolutionary for me. Now, this brings, me, brings to mind a story in, in Luke, Luke chapter 13, where Jesus heals a woman on the Sabbath. And the, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they see this and they're scandalized. And Jesus, what do you think you're doing healing this woman on the Sabbath day? This is wrong. You're breaking the commandments. Thou shalt not work on the seventh day. And you know, you know the story. This poor woman, she, wasn't been, she hadn't been able to stand up straight for 18 years, terribly crippled. And yet Jesus, in his mercy and compassion, reaches out to her and says, be healed. Oh, did Jesus ever come under attack? Uh, what, kind of a, what kind of a Christian are you, Jesus? Who do you think you are? And Jesus says something really wonderful. Because this woman, crippled, poor, lonely, despised, rejected. I mean, people would have said this about her. The reason she's crippled is because obviously there's sin in her life. So this woman was despised, she's rejected. She's a nobody, she's an outcast. And yet Jesus stops and heals her. And these Pharisees are mad. And you know what Jesus says? Something very special, very wonderful. He looks at her and he says, this is a daughter of Abraham. This is a daughter of Abraham. What he does is he assigns worth to this woman. This woman is is of great worth and of great value to God. Regardless of what you Pharisees think, this woman is more important than anything and even greater than your commandments. Nobody had ever spoken like this before. Nobody had put people above religion. Yet here's Jesus assigning great worth to this woman. Doesn't this daughter of Abraham deserve to be freed from the effects and the powers of Satan? I want the Spirit of God to speak to your heart right now. Because as wonderful as it was for that, 18, that woman who had been crippled for 18 years to be healed, I think even greater were the words that Jesus spoke, the words that she heard Jesus say, woman, you are healed, but woman, even more important than that, you have great value in the sight of God. You are a daughter of Abraham. Here's what I know about every single person here today. Every person here today need some words of encouragement. Everyone here today needs to be told you have great value and great worth. Here's the wonderful thing that happens when you and I get together with each other in the context of a small group. You and I remind each other that God loves us, that he cares about us, and that God has assigned great worth to us. Do you know how much worth God has assigned to each of us here today? He values us and loves us so much that he died for us. Ray, if you were the only one, God would have sent his son to die for you. And not just Ray, by the way. Everyone here today. But here's the thing. Our hearts are bombarded by another message. 
Our hearts are bombarded by the message that comes right from the pit of hell that says what? You are worthless. You have no value. You're a failure. You didn't do a good job at work. You're, a, you're, you're, you're not a success at work. You're not a success at school. You bombed out there. You're a terrible mother. You're a terrible father. You're a terrible grandparent. This is the message that you hear all the time, and it comes from the very pit of hell. In fact, the Bible tells us that there is an accuser. His name is Satan. He is the accuser of the brethren. And he will constantly come at you and say, you're a loser, you've made bad decisions. Look at where you, the, where you are right now is your own fault because you're so stupid, you made such stupid decisions. And this is the world we live in. And then God comes along and he says, hey, come and be part of a small group where you discover how much God really loves you where you can speak words of encouragement to each other to build one another. So encourage each other to build each other up just as you are already doing. Folks, that is what small groups is all about. And here's what I know. Many of us stop growing spiritually because we're so busy listening to that tape recorder that plays in our head. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Remember the old tape recorders? You put a cassette in, you push play, and it plays, and you push stop, rewind, and play again. And for many of us, we've had messages playing in our heads for years. You're a failure, you're stupid, you're no good, you're not gonna make it. God doesn't love you. How could God love someone like you, somebody who's failed and made so many mistakes? How could God love somebody who's sinned and fallen short so often? Would you come to a small group? And our, I don't know what they do at your small group, but our group, everybody seems to hug each other. I don't know where they got that from. <laughs> everybody hugs each other, pats each other in the back. So good to see you. And we share, to, share with one another. And everybody says, hey, thanks, that was great. Needed to hear that. This is what a small group is all about. It's about counteracting those messages that you, that you and I hear. All of us do. And Satan is sometimes so ruthless. He'll come at you right in the middle of the night. You know what I'm talking about? And he'll re replay something for you. And you hear that message. You'll never amount to anything. You're a failure. God wants you to be in relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ who love you and care about you. These brothers and sisters in Christ are gonna help erase the messages that you've had in your head all these years. And all those things that you have failed at, all those weaknesses that you've had, come to a small group and be set free. Because here's what I know, you cannot grow until you're set free from the things of your past. In the context of that small group where you were loved and hear words of encouragement, words of blessing, suddenly those words from your past, those words from the pit of hell, those words that you maybe heard your parents speak to you, they begin to dim and you begin to hear the very voice of God who says, I love you. That's what a small group is. 
Now you might say, Pastor Alan, I'm actually quite mature in my faith, and you know, um, I don't, I don't, I know all this already. I'm actually quite spiritual. No, I'm really quite spiritual. <laughs> I've got it all together. I don't really need this. I'm, I'm secure in my walk with God. I, I know everything I need to know. I'm solid. I'm good. I'm cool. So, Pastor, don't worry about me. Well, you know what? Praise God if you got it all together. You're amazing. But guess what? There's a lot of people who don't have it together. And folks, again, this is what church is about. Those who have got it all together, those who are so, so brilliant, spiritually speaking, you're needed. You're wanted. Now, I personally don't believe everybody's got it together, but, but those of you who think you've got it together, you're needed. We need you to step up and speak life into the hearts of those who don't have it together. We need you to, to sign up to say, hey, I can speak some words of encouragement to people who are broken and hurting. Because that's this world, that's this life. And contrary to what you might hear television preachers tell you, the fact of the matter is, is that we are all struggling while we're here on this earth. How many know that this is not heaven? And if you don't know this is not heaven while we live in minus 30, there's something not right with you. I believe that this kind of weather is definitely a part of the curse. I think, I'm sure God said something to Adam and Eve about that. You, need, you and I need to understand that God has called us to enter into fellowship, into relationship with others where we can encourage each other and be encouraged. I look across this room tonight, today, this morning and I, I know that everybody here needs a word of encouragement, needs somebody just to say, hey, I love you, I appreciate you, you mean a lot to me. Last week at my small group, um, we, we asked the question, what, who has who's made a difference in your life? Who has spoken a word to you that has really been a game changer, that has given you hope to face the future? And I wasn't expecting it, but one of the people in the group said, Pastor Allen, it was you. You're the one that made a difference in my life. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't obviously, I wasn't fishing for that. I wasn't looking for that, and that's not what I expected. But I can tell you this, that in that moment when that person said, you're the one that made a difference in my life, something within me, uh, I felt a, a warmth go all over me. I can't explain it. But what happened is this person assigned value and worth to me. And you might say, well, pastor, you're in the ministry for 30 years, and you're serving God, and it's your job to, to do good and be good and do all the right things. Can I just tell you, I, like you, need a word of encouragement. Isn't that amazing? I need a word of, I need a word of, I need someone to say, appreciate you. And I need that, and you need that. I'm going to tell you this, it makes you grow. It makes you want to be a better person. Because this is the first thing that I felt after that person said that to me. I thought to myself, what can I do to help them even more? <laughs> Isn't that right? And folks, this is what it means to become more and more like Jesus. 
Because what we see in our Lord Jesus is that he is, he is the sovereign. He was the king of kings, lord of lords, but yet here he is entering into relationship with 12 others. And even Jesus says to James, hey, can you guys come and pray with me? The most critical time of his life, and what is he doing? He's saying, hey, I need you. Can you just come and, and encourage me? Because remember that word, it means encourage, it means to come alongside. I need you to come alongside me, guys. This is Jesus. I need you to come alongside me. I need you to pray with me. Can you just hang out with me as I, as I wrestle in these last hours before I go to the cross because I can't do it alone? Now, who of us here would be so arrogant and ignorant to think that we could face life alone? If even our Lord says to his closest friends, come, come alongside me and help me as I go through this dark hour. Folks, this is really what small groups is about. It's about coming alongside one another, encouraging each other and helping each other to grow. Some of you are stunted in your spiritual development because something has happened in your past and you haven't been able to get past it. I'm telling you today, get in fellowship with your brothers and sisters and start sharing your, your concerns, your cares, your worries, your fears. Start sharing it with each other and let people into your life so that you can pray together and encourage each other. You see, I can't encourage you if you don't tell me what your needs are and vice versa. Jesus says to his disciples, hey guys, come alongside me. I can't, I can't face this alone. This, folks, is the gospel. This is the good news, which we call Christianity, is that we don't have to face it alone. We enter into fellowship with one another to learn and to grow and become more like Jesus. That's what it means to grow together. Let's pray. Let's stand as we pray. Father, thank you for the family of God. And God, you want to help us to grow and to, to change, to be transformed. You want us to move beyond where we are right now in our lives. And some of us have been are hung up on the past because somewhere along the line, somebody said something or did something that so terribly discouraged us that we just gave up hope and we stopped growing, we stopped changing. Father, I pray right now that by your spirit, you would liberate us so that once again we would know the full measure of your joy and your love. And God, help us to understand that in small groups, it's the place where we are changed. It's a place where we're loved and accepted, embraced, it's a place where people come alongside us and lift us up. So, Father, we commit each one to you right now. And we pray, Father, that everyone would be committed to being part of a group of people that love them, being part of a group where they can love. And so, God, we commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Tell that person beside you, I love you. Amen. <laughs>